Back to the finish, I feel the spirit moving through the city. I got the light shining, come get it. Walking with Christ, moving where it's gritty. Walking with Christ, moving where it's gritty. I feel the spirit moving through the city. I see the people trying to bring them with me. We got a light, tell them come and get it. Yeah. Walk, 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 walk. I walk, 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 walk. Good to go. We're rolling. Uh, Welcome to another episode of The Glory Gen. Today I have the uh, privilege and honor to introduce to you uh, my best friend since second grade, Dr. Josh Massey. You don't got to call me doctor. Just, just call me Josh. Dr. <laughs> Josh Massey. You didn't go through all that years of school to not be introduced as Dr. Josh Massey. Not on my podcast. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> oh, man. It's so good to have you, bro. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited to see what God's doing in yeah. you and through you and through this podcast. It's it's awesome. Proud of you, bro. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. It's, it's crazy, bro, to think. To think about where it all started. Yeah. And where we are now. Yep. Yeah. Seven years old, met Josh, you know, second grade. Yeah. <laughs> we were fools. I mean, we're, we're still fools. <laughs> trying to figure it out. <laughs> we never can stop being fools. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason that we that we became friends is because we had the same name. Yeah, literally the <laughs> only reason why. And I was also assigned to to be your friend as a... Yeah, as he was a, forced. Yeah, I was forced. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was forced I was assigned to be, to be the person that goes and meets the new kids that come, and Josh was the new kid, and I had to go get him from the office, and we had the same name, and then yeah. like, hey, what's your name, Josh? My name's Josh. We should be friends. <laughs> That's yeah. how it started. Yeah, but, the, but they got me, though, because they didn't tell me that it was an, it was an assignment. Yeah. They didn't tell me that. So. I don't think I told you for like years later. I think this is my first time actually (laughs) finding out about that. So I'm a little, I'm a little hurt, but I'll process that. I'll process that later on in life. Um, I fully need to see my therapist. (laughs) Um, That's so funny. I wasn't allowed to have friends. Like you were the. You were, but they had to go through a, a screening process, right? Yeah, and you're the only one who made it through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, we grew up, I grew up, I mean, you know how I grew up. It was super strict. Like, we were only allowed to hang out with our cousins. Yeah. And in hindsight, it probably would have been better if I hung out with other people, not my cousins. But that's a story for another day. But yeah, it was like the fact that, my parents let me go to your house. No, I think you had to come over first. I had to come over first, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had to, yeah, I think you had to come over for like a year before my parents ever even let me go to your house. It was, it was, a, it was a few times, man. Yeah. I had to, I had to come over before you, I got the seal of approval. Um, but, and before you can come to my house <laughs> as well. seal of approval. You know, but I mean, I mean, you're, you're, I would call it, I don't know if I would call it sheltered, but I mean, your parents had good intentions, you know, and, they wanted to make sure that you were raised uh, around I, people. Who, I know what I would call it. That's definitely sheltered. Yeah. <laughs> Overprotect. I, I, I understand. Yeah. You know, c- coming from a different country. Yeah. You know, you just hear all, about all the bad stuff that happens and yeah. 
kids getting kidnapped and raped and drugged and so you want to protect your kids so yeah. i definitely appreciated i appreciate it now i didn't appreciate it then at right all. yeah yeah and i mean my parents were strict too yeah you your, jerry had to, your older brother had to come with you to my house the that's first right. couple of times i remember that yeah I, I totally forgot about that you're right yeah that's when i learned about 52 card pickup <laughs> <laughs> Was your favorite game? <laughs> that was my. That was such a fun game. Uh, uh, man, I totally forgot about all that. Yeah. So. Wow. That's crazy, man. Like, growing up in America as a what would you call that? First generation yeah. American. Yeah, you're a first generation. I wasn't even first generation. Because I was an immigrant, basically, because I wasn't born oh, here. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you were first-generation American. Yeah, I was born here. Yeah, you were you were like, but yeah, you, sp you grew up here. Yeah. So I was like, you know, but yeah, it's it's, it's challenging. Um, I, I think that, I think it was definitely like looking back at it. I mean, actually, I, I think I knew this even earlier on. Is it was definitely God-ordained, a divine connection bringing us together because, I mean... What friend? I have. I don't know that many friendships that last. Um, how many years is that now? Like nineteen years. I don't know. Twenty? I'm, no, no more, more than, than that. that. Yeah, twenty? Like Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. Twenty-six years. Yeah, but I mean, just thinking back to like what a bless, what a huge blessing it was. Like, I mean, I was growing up in between two cultures, right? Yeah. <clears throat> American culture and then my Pakistani culture at home, but you were also doing the same thing. You know, our cultures are the same, but how? how big of a blessing it is to be friends with someone at that age who's going through the same exact thing. Yeah. You know, I can't even, I mean, of course I had my cousins and thing, things like that, but, uh, and my brother, but you and I went to like school together. We saw each other every single day yeah. and we got to experience that together. And man, just thinking back to like how huge of a blessing that really was, you know? Yeah. Because it can be easy for us to, go to one extreme just trying to fit in you know right and we did i mean we we did try to fit in you know we did our best to yeah to fit in but i think that having each other um helped us not go to too far of an extreme to try to fit in yeah doing doing stuff that like would have been potentially dangerous in the long term like we didn't get into drugs we didn't get into partying or like you know yeah. i think had I had had I made a friend that was maybe someone that wasn't like you, I probably would have been susceptible to like peer pressure to mm -hmm. sneak out of the house, go party, you know, do drugs, yeah. hang out. So, I mean, I, I was de I definitely had that in me. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it helped us understand that we're not alone, right? Yeah, I th I think it helped us not like blame our parents, you know, for their protection. I think because we got to compare our. Our like how strict our parents were to each other and it's like yeah. okay like you know and then even our other friends you know were yeah middle eastern as well and their parents were strict and it was like okay like that's just it's just how it is you know yeah or, yeah it's i mean i can't even imagine what it would be like growing up in that in between two cultures and not having somebody that understands yeah like i think about people like kids that are going through that today and how hard that must be yeah you know, I mean, I'm just thinking back to like 9-11, mm. you know, and, and I think I, we don't realize like how it was a pretty big deal, you know, for us, you know, um, I remember growing up like 
whenever someone would ask like where I'm from, I would say Pakistan, and they had no idea what that was. Like Pakistan, never heard of it. Yeah. After 9-11, everyone knew where Pakistan was, you know? Yeah. It was like, literally everyone knew. And I mean, I think we were that, on the map. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a good way, but we were on the map. You know? I, I just remember uh, one of our friends in, in middle school, Jamal Ahmad, that used to tell people he was Mexican after 9-11. I mean, I wasn't going to say his name, but... <laughs> I, I can't even find him on Instagram, bro. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just think back to that time and I remember like... This my dude's first name is Jamal. Last name is Ahmad. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually believed he was Mexican. <laughs> I mean, we all did, you know. Yeah. I mean, it just very like, convincing. <laughs> how that happened, I mean, thinking back to that, like, I remember my mom, after 9-11, mom telling me, like, don't tell anyone you're from Pakistan. You have to yeah. say you're from India. And I was like, oh. what? Why? That's weird, you know. And, yeah. But it was, she was trying to protect us. And I remember going to school and, like, rallying the middle eastern people together and in the process like we went up to jamal ahmad and you know we were like hey man where are you from and he was like i'm mexican and we were like oh okay never mind you know we were just not that we were trying to exclude him but we <laughs> yeah. were trying to like rally the troops to like support each other you know yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how we found out that i mean eventually we didn't find out till like high school you know so like five six years seven years down the road he, he finally told us and you know that he was actually from afghanistan but yeah i mean i mean we we can laugh about it, but also like think through how, how sad that is and how difficult it is, you know? And, yeah. Like, he probably didn't have someone like we did, you know, like I had you to like, yeah. Support me, you know, and being, you know, first generation American and figuring it out, but we had each other, you know, but for, for people like him, like he probably didn't have anyone, you know? Yeah. What would, what would you, what would you say to somebody in that space right now? What kind of what kind of advice would you would you offer them? Yeah, I I think for me, what I really struggled with was figuring out what culture I I, I identify with. Mm. You know, um, like is it American culture? You know, at school it's American culture, but then at home it's like it's all Pakistani culture. We didn't speak a word of English at home. Yeah, know? yeah. We spoke Urdu, Punjabi. That's all we spoke at home, and it was like growing up, I was like juggling in between two cultures, trying to figure it out, and it really confused me. Like you know. I have to act a certain way when I'm around in school or, yeah. you know, or when I'm at home, I act a certain way. And there's like different principles of it. And I think what I would tell someone going through that right now, I mean, and I'm still going through it, you know, is that like what has helped me is recognizing that like my identity is not found in a culture, you know, it's not found in American culture. It's not found in Pakistani culture. Like my identity is found in Christ. And like taking those things from the cultures and aligning that with what Christ calls us to be and making that my culture, you know? And I think, I think that's what I've learned through marriage as well, you know? And like me and my wife who is white, you know, she's, she's Dutch, you know, she's, she grew up here and we're trying to balance like. She's a cornbread queen. Yeah. She's from Iowa, you know, straight from Iowa. <laughs> a cornbread queen. <laughs> You're welcome, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're trying to figure out how like how do we blend our cultures what that looks like and like what i've learned from that process is like we align it to what what god is calling us to mm, you know that's so good and i mean it comes with challenges as well you know like so many challenges that i've had to face even through marriage you know trying to juggle that i mean it took me back to being a kid and trying to figure out which culture am i aligning myself with you know um but that would be the piece of advice that i would I would give to someone going through that right now, you know? Mm. So what would that look like practically for, let's say 
it doesn't even have to be a high school kid. It can be college. It could be young adult. But you know that that struggle never never really ends. Um, it's kind of something that you have to deal with for the rest of your life, right? It's right. something that you're it's 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 ingrained in you in your DNA. You you still have your family, even though even if you're assimilated into um, American society, culture, work, <clears throat> community, you still have family and you have roots so what does it look like practically for someone to have their identity in christ and not in the culture they were born in and also not in the culture of the country that they live in now yeah and i mean i can only speak to my situation and and what my experience has been um so i mean let's just talk about marriage right Mm -hmm. pakistani culture the husband sits on the couch does nothing the wife is doing the cooking. She's doing the cleaning. She's doing everything. That was my upbringing, you know? Yeah. Like my mom did everything for me, you know? Like, I woke up in the morning. She had my breakfast ready. She had my lunch pack. I came home. I mean, she would iron my clothes before going to work, you know? Um, and it's not that she was forced to. She wanted to. She found joy in doing those things and serving me in that way. That's what I grew up around, <clears throat> you know? And she went to work. And she went to work, yeah. And she and went then to came work. back and cooked dinner, yeah. You know, and and that's that's our culture, you know, um, and that's what marriage looked like in our culture, or looks like in our culture, you know, yeah, um, or did for me at least growing up, you know. <clears throat> and then like comparing my wife's upbringing and her her cultural um, understanding of marriage and what she saw in the home was like, her dad was like, he has like the best servant heart I've seen in my life. You know, he's just like, he shows his love through acts of service and he goes above and beyond to serve everyone, including his wife. That's what, that's what she grew up around, you know? So you're bringing my wife's understanding of what marriage looks like and what mine looks like. And it's like, whoa, like this is totally different. Culture clash. Culture clash, you know? And th- and that's what I was referring to when I said we had to like figure out what that looks like according to what God's definition of marriage is, right? Mm. And, you know, we're, we're called the bride of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And how does Christ love the church? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. He died for the church, mm. right? That's how he loves the church. And he calls us to love our wives the same, you know? Like our marriage is a depiction of Christ's, and Christ's love for the church and that relationship, you know? So... When, I mean, he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25, right? Um, so for me, it was like, okay, like, what does that look like for me? How do I love my wife the way Christ loved the church? Mm. At that point, it's like, forget culture. Like, I don't care what my culture says. Like, I need to love her how Christ loved the church because that's what God call, That's the way God calls me to love her. Yeah. So that flipped everything upside down for me, right? Um. So now it's like when my family like comes over to our house, hmm. they see me in the kitchen helping her with dishes. At first it was like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to say at first, it probably still is like weird for them, hmm. you know? Yeah. Like I remember like my, my mom told me the first time he came over to our house after marriage, like my dad went home and cried because he saw me like helping out in the kitchen, you know, like he was like sad for me, you know, because that's why. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah it's crazy because that's their understanding of the culture but for me it's like 
you know, I'm, I'm called to like, please God, you know? And of course my parents are used to it now and it's not something that like offends them or anything like that. You know, they, they're used to it now, but at first it was hard. It was hard for me to like let go of my cultural understanding of what marriage is and like align that to what God was calling me to, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's, and then that bring that reminds me of the verse that Jesus says, like loving me looks like hatred to your family. And I think like, I think this is probably the first time that I actually really understand that it's not like you it's not like you're despising your family yeah. it's not like you're you're disrespecting your family um but you just love god more right enough to enough to the point where it costs you something yeah and wow well, that that's that's um that's incredible so I mean, what did, what did that feel like? Um, making that, making those shifts. I mean, walk me through your, maybe your, your thought process, your, your emotions, um, and navigating that. Yeah. Um, I think at first it comes with a lot of like embarrassment, you know, like as a man, culturally as a man, you don't do that. You know, it's like. That's not what you do. That's not your role as a man, you know? So I think it comes with embarrassment, you know? It comes with humility, letting go of pride, you know, and leaving pride at the door. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? Mm. Um, but then it ultimately comes to, like, fear of God versus fear of man, you know? <sighs> like, what do I value more? Yeah. You know? And it comes down to like fearing God more and what he calls us to matters more. And that's what matters the most, you know? So, um, I hope that when others see that, they don't see that as like me turning my back on my culture or anything like that, but it's valuing what God calls us to do more than my cultural upbringing or what my culture calls me to. Because at the end of the day, none of that matters if it doesn't align with what, what God's calling us to, you know? Yeah. First of all, I just want to like acknowledge you for that because I don't think I really ever like realized like the weight of of what that was for you. Because for me, even though I grew up in an Egyptian culture, uh, my upbringing was a little bit different, as you know. So that that pressure wasn't there, and it was it was different. So um, just want to say to you like that's that's big, like that's really admirable and honorable that you did that. And I'm really proud of you because that's not easy. And not a lot of people do that because yeah. it's so easy to just pick the parts of the word of God that fit your narrative and fit your lifestyle and apply those and, and just say, well, this is just the culture that I grew up in. And, um, and I think it probably was easy to do that. And back in Jesus's culture too, that's probably what he said was, his words were very shocking because that the culture back then was, was similar to the culture that you grew up in. And it was like, what? Yeah. And I mean, even like my nephews now, you know, like <clears throat> they're growing up around that culture, you know, and like, they'll see me in the kitchen washing dishes and they're, they're little, you know, and they'll come up to me like, Josh, why are you washing dishes? Isn't that, isn't that a girl's, the girl's thing to do? Boys don't do that, you know, uh, but that's their understanding of it too. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's cool for them to like 
see that as well and ask questions, you know, and I'm able to like talk to them about that as well and what it looks like. Yeah. Um, I just think about also like what it means to die to yourself when, when, when the Bible tells us that we have to die to ourself. Um, I don't think we really count the cost or really acknowledge um, what that looks like. And I think for some people that cost is higher and for others um, maybe it's, it's not as, not as high and, or maybe it's just because we live in America, um, our, our Western church culture is, is just, um, we, we maybe read the Bible, we read the word of God through our Western lens mm. as opposed to um, reading the word of God and taking it at face value. So I think that it, maybe it was a little more blatant for you because you grew up in a different culture, married somebody that grew up in a completely different culture than yourself. And so that... that um, Uh, what's the word? Contrast. That contrast was very evident. And so it put you in a position to where you had to go to the word of God and what does you know, what does the word of God say? But, you know, imagine if you if you married a, a Pakistani girl, um, maybe you wouldn't have had those conflicts and it would have been very easy for you to continue on in the in the culture that you grew up in without making that shift. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, our contrast was huge. I mean, you can tell that we're totally different, grew up in totally different cultures, but sometimes like you grow up in the same culture, but, and even the same race and, and everything like that, but there's also different family cultures, you know? Yeah. And every marriage causes you to come together, whether you're from the same culture or different cultures. But it does require both of you dying to yourselves, you know, and aligning your cultures to what God has called you guys to, you know, yeah. in every marriage, not just a, a marriage where there's different cultures as well, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's something that we, we get to do not just as a married person, but as single people, um, we get to go to the word of God and really read the word of God at face value. Pastor Sam said, this is, do you read what you believe or do you believe what you read? Mm. And I think a lot of us read what we believe. We read with a lens, and we interpret the Bible through that lens, yeah. um, whether it's our Western lens, whether it's our Eastern lens, whether it's um, whatever lens that is. Everyone has different, but um, we get to we get an opportunity to die to ourselves, whatever, whether it's culture, um, a culture we grew up in, a culture we adopted, beliefs that we adopted, um, anything, but we have to reframe our identity based on what god standards are yeah and even i mean you're talking about western and eastern cultures like even growing up i grew up around two different church cultures mm. you know like <clears throat> you in pakistan like women they cover their heads before they pray i mean not not yeah. just not just if they're muslims but also for the christians yeah you know? yeah before you enter the church, you take your shoes off, mm. you know, because you respect, you know, the presence of God, you know, mm. if you, if you put 
the Bible on the ground in Pakistani culture. Oh, you you don't. That's really that's like a huge level of disrespect to God's word. You know, yeah. so the reverence of God is is a huge thing in Pakistani culture. Yeah, Pakistani Christian culture as well. You know, um, and then I just remember like when I started going to like the American church, and then like, I mean like the Bible's on the ground and it's like, whoa, like people are putting the Bible on the ground. Like, yeah, that's offensive. Like, well, do they not know like how offensive that is? Or they're showing up to church in their jeans and their flip flops. And it's like, whoa, this is so weird, mm. you know? And so I think for me growing up, that was, that was difficult too. You know, like the, the huge contrast between the, the, the cultures of Christianity, um, between the Pakistani and American culture too, you know, on one side you have, I mean, it's kind of like on one side you have like this view of God who you, you, you have high reverence for him. You recognize who he is. And then it almost seemed like on the American side, you see the side of God who is loving, come as you are, you know, God accepts you just the way you are versus like Pakistani culture. It's like, man, do you know you're about to enter God's presence? You better get your stuff together and show some respect, you know? Like, I mean, I even think back to as kids, like we, whenever we would pray every night as a family together, but like when it was like bedtime and we we're getting ready to pray, like if I had like a tank top on or me and my brother, it's like we had to cover ourselves because we're about to get into God's presence. Like put on a shirt, like sit up. You're not going to lay down and pray. Like, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. you're, you're about to like talk to God, you know? Um, so a huge contrast in, in, in even that, you know, the Christian culture. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that I'm so glad you brought that up because, yeah, regardless of, um, you know, where we grew up, what culture we grew up in, it's 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 the the church culture, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, it was like, it's easy to, it's easy to, see the Bible through the lens of the culture that you grew up in, whether that's the west or the east and instead of reading it and having that holy reverence so it's still it's still hard though like it's still hard like to to navigate that um because your culture is so ingrained in and who you are so how do you take off that lens and read the bible and interpret it and apply it not interpret it apply it um, for what it says. I think it starts with like <clears throat> getting to know who God is and spending time with him and hearing from him. You know, we can all just read the Bible and interpret it on our own. But I, th- but I think it, it's, it starts with approaching that time when you're reading the Bible as a time of when you're going to one, spend time with God, but also hear from him. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I think like that, the, the, the that reverence piece that you guys grew up with is something that's lost upon um, American culture and our, and our Western culture. Um, It's, you know, we're both reading that book, the awe of God by John Bevere right now. And for me, it's, it's really, it's hitting me hard how casually we take God. And now just hearing you say how, you guys in your culture growing up, how you how seriously you guys took the presence of God. 
it's so important. And then also what you guys lacked on that side was the relational intimate aspect exactly. of a relationship with God. And what the Western culture lacks is the reverence piece. So it's, 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 uh, it's crazy how it's dangerous to go to each extreme. Exactly. Each, yeah. each extreme can, can be dangerous. And yeah. if anybody <clears throat> wants a good read, go read the awe of God. So good. That book will transform your relationship with God. Not just your relationship with God, your life. Because having a proper view of God, having a, an intimate relationship with God impacts every area of our lives. Mm-hmm. What, are, what, have, what are some like, ta- I don't want to say takeaways, but how has your life been different since you started reading the book? <laughs> or it doesn't have to be all of it but I, I, give me some yeah. give me something man <laughs> I'm trying to think just something I know we've talked so many times about all of these things and I'm like blanking on some of the things that we've talked about together even. well one of the one of the things that you mentioned to me um, was that you found it more challenging to relate to certain people mm. after reading the book. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Woo! I'm talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we get raw, real, unfiltered. Unfiltered. <laughs> Jamal Lamont. <laughs> Called him out. Sir. I'm going to tag you, bro. <laughs> Everyone can go to your profile. You traitor. He's no, an imposter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're, I, I don't even. I think his name was probably something else, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> probably changed his last name to like Sanchez or something after that. Experience. Probably took his wife's last name, bro. Oh, see. I got it. I got it. I got it. Like uh, my nose hey, is no. running. Can you, Leo? Can you grab me a? Uh, issue yeah so talk about that all right put the mic a little closer to your mouth and just pull it closer to you there you go. check one two <laughs> make it relax a little uh, do that my foot in the way uh, mm. thanks bro does it look weird if i cross my legs literally Start crying. Start crying. <laughs> <laughs> he just hit the sound effect. Oh, <laughs> the what? The sound effect. You'll see it oh, in the final shit. production. Okay. <laughs> um. Are we, are we, are we rolling? Or? Yeah, we never stopped. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, the book has been great. I would say one of the things that that hit me really hard was it can be so easy for me, for us to just check off, check off the list of things that we are, we are doing, you know, like good things, you know, like, so like going to church every week, being involved in a small group and like a legit small group where we're real, 
We talk about real things. You know, we cry together. We laugh together. We do life together. Mm. We're spending time reading God's word and we're growing. And um, it's been great, you know, um, serving, serving people in the name of Jesus. You know, like it can be so easy for us to do all of these things, but still be lukewarm in our pursuit of our relationship with God. Mm, and I spend on that. And I think that's what hit me really hard, you know, like mm. God calls us to so much more than just going to church on a Sunday and serving. He calls us to so much more than just spending time with other believers, you know. Um and what I realized, you know, I, would, I think back to the story of like Martha and Mary. <clears throat> And, and what I started to realize was that I was like Martha in the kitchen. I was doing a lot of good things and a lot of good things for God, you know. Um, like she was, she was preparing a meal for Jesus. She was doing all these great things. But Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And what I realized is I was doing a lot of good things for God. But what was lacking is my time with God, which is so much, so much more valuable than doing things for him. If my relationship with God, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not making that the highest priority, yeah, none of the other stuff even matters. You know, what matters most is I'm spending time with God daily. That I'm building an intimate relationship with Him. That I'm getting to know Him. That I'm learning to hear His voice. You know, that I'm aware of the Spirit that lives inside me. Yeah. You know, because it it can be so easy for us to just put on cruise control and do all of these things that we feel like are good. And they are good, but if we're not spending time with him, none of that matters, you know. And I think that was that was the thing that really hit me, you know, and um, that I've been growing to, that I've been growing in and learning. Um, and I just want everyone to experience the same, you know. Tie that into your relationship with your wife. If you treated like that same principle. In your marriage. Right. You know, like I can, I can do all of these things for my wife, you know, things that I feel like are going to make her happy, you know, things that I feel like are good for our marriage. I can be like vacuuming, cleaning the house. I can be mowing the lawn, buying you know, her flowers, buying her flowers every day, you know, even telling her I love her, you know, but if I'm not spending time with her and building an intimate relationship with her, none of the other stuff even matters, you know? If I'm not getting to know her deeper, you know, every day, if I'm not pursuing her every day, you know, doing all of these things, they don't really matter, you know. But once I get to know her on a deeper level, fall in love with her more every day, become more intimate with her, all of those other things are just a natural progression of our relationship. And I want to do those things, you know, but it starts with, us building that relationship and getting to know each other in the same way with God. You know, if, if I'm not spending time with God and getting to know him and being aware of his spirit in my life on a daily basis, um, it can be easy to do good things without me being mindful of how the spirit is working in my life um, on a day to day basis as well. So good. I was reading from first John chapter four. And 
I didn't know how this was going to tie into our conversation today, but um, <laughs> here it is. Um, So, First John 4, verse 16, 17. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them by living in God or in relationship with God. Love has been brought to its full expression in us so that, way, so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. And this is, this is the part that I love. It says, by living in God, Love has been brought to its full expression in us. And in the TPT, it has um, little um, footnotes. footnotes. So the footnote says, or love has reached its goal slash destiny within us. Mm. So by living in relationship with God, love has reached its goal within us. The goal of God's love is relationship with us. Wow. That's so good. Say that again. So the goal of, so by living in God and then the, the footnote is, or by living in relationship with God, love has been brought to its full expression in us or Love has reached its goal or destiny within us. So the goal of love, the goal of God's love is relationship and intimacy with us. The goal of God's love is not to turn us into servants, not to, do, not to turn us into people who are doing things for God. God's love, the goal of God's love, the purpose of God's love is relationship with us. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how, you know, in the Bible, like it says, for the joy set before Jesus, Mm -hmm. he died for us. Yeah. And what was that joy set before him? Was relationship and intimacy with us. Yeah. And that was the, the purpose of his love was to have intimacy with us. And that just blows my mind. Yeah. It it was, it was really like, it just made me really quiet when I, when I listened to it, when I read it and like, it's just, it's so peaceful. Like even right now, I just feel so much peace because I think it's it's so easy to get caught up in this um, this rat race. Um, and I think back to our conversation about reading the Bible through a lens, reading what you believe or believing what you read, is we read sometimes the Bible through our Western lens of of doing, hmm. doing and being productive equals value Mm. and God the value that we have God gave us value 
without doing anything. That's the value so that we have in God is not because of what we do, but it's because we are his creation, because we're created in his image. Because, because of who we are. Because of who we are and because of who he is. So it's just... It, and we think back at you think you go back to the, the original, right? You go back to creation in the garden. There was there was nothing. There was no one for Adam and Eve to convert to Christianity. There was no there was no one to evangelize to. Mm. There was no one to prophesy to. There was no one uh, to teach the word of God to. And I'm not saying those as negative things, but I'm just saying that those are not the, that's not the priority. That's not. The perp that's not our purpose. That's our assignment. I think there's a difference between our purpose and our assignment. Mm-hmm. Our purpose, <clears throat> why were we why we were created is to live an intimate relationship with God. When we live an intimate relationship with God, we get a calling or an assignment. And it's through that relationship with God, being empowered through his spirit, being strengthened through that relationship that we are able to successfully execute our assignment. But it can be so easy for us to make that assignment our idol and allow it to take the place and time of our intimacy with God. Yeah. Even though when we started it out, you know, it started out with, you know, intimacy with God that led to assignment. But sometimes in the process, it's easy for us to make that assignment the priority or the idol that takes the place of God. You know, I was I was talking to my friend and pastor, Pastor Matt. And, um, you know, we go and we serve together. We do haircuts for the homeless. And... <clears throat> he was telling me how he was reading that same passage with Martha and Mary, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, Mary was at Jesus's feet. And then Jesus tells her the poor will always be there, mm-hmm. you know, cause Judah says like, you know, you, you're washing his feet with this expensive perfume, which is like a year's wages, you know, like, what are you doing? You could have given that money to the poor. Yeah. And Jesus is like, the poor will always be here, but I won't. And how that just like, it reminded me exactly of what you were saying, you know, like our assignment might be, you know, we're, we're, we're building relationships with these individuals experiencing homelessness, we're cutting their hair, but we can't allow that assignment to take the place of intimacy with God because the poor will always be there. You know, we need, we need to prioritize our time with him above everything, above any assignment, even that assignment that he has called us to. Yeah. And I, and I think about something that that um, that God brought to my mind um, a few weeks ago, and it was it was a thought that the Bible says that Jesus humbled Himself to be born as a man, mm. as a human. And in my mind, instantly it was like, okay, so being a human is a humbling experience, mm. right? Think about. Jesus and all his authority and all his power and all his dominion and sovereignty to be born as a human, humbly born as a human. The human experience is humbling and it's limited. Mm. It's limiting. And Jesus as a human 
relied on his relationship with the father. He did not do it on his own. He modeled what it looked like to rely on God for everything. And I think that, again, uh, this, this keeps coming back up, but the culture is so, it emphasizes self-sufficiency, um, being self-made, not needing anybody, and sometimes that seeps into our Christianity and into the church. Um, Jesus both lived in community and in direct relationship with his father. Yeah, but he had to intentionally take time away, right? He was intentional about retreating and spending time with the father, you know? And the need of the people didn't dictate that. Mm. The need was, was always there. There were crowds and crowds of people around Jesus. Yeah. But he even said, like, hey, send the crowds away. I got to go spend time with God, and he would retreat. You that know? was his source. Yep. God was his source. That relationship that he had with God was his source for life, for energy, for wisdom, for miracles, yeah. supernatural, everything. He understood the dynamic. Yeah, and, and the need was there for the people, but he recognized and prioritized the need of him as a human to be intimate with his father. I can see where this conversation is about to go to. It's so, I mean, you, you have obviously your, your, your background psychology. And so talk about it from a psychological perspective of like, um, the importance of self care in dealing with others. I don't want to take, I don't, I'm not trying to shift from spiritual background, but I think it's important to, to, to tie the two together. Yeah, and I think they do go together, right? <clears throat> As humans in general, we need to we need to make sure where we are first filled before we're trying to fill others up. Whether that's in ministry, whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in in any field, you know, where you're serving others, where you're pouring out to others, you need to make sure that you are first filled, you know. And I yeah. and, and I think us as Christians like we just talked about, our source comes back to just as Jesus Jesus had modeled spending time with our father. Mm. And until we are we are filling our own cup, it's impossible to fill others cup. Yeah. You know? And and that could even mean like I mean even beyond psychiatry, even beyond psychology like on a day-to-day -day basis. Oftentimes we get caught up in like serving other people. Um and it can be draining. Me personally, you know, it can be draining not only serving people at work, you know, at the clinic, but also serving others that God's calling us to serve, mm. you know, and, and in those times where I'm not prioritizing spending time with God, I totally recognize the difference. And I know you recognize the difference because I call you and I'm like, Hey, like I'm feeling drained this week. You're like, Hey, how much time are you spending time reading or spend time? I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of suffering this week, you know, and then boom, I'm like, you don't even have to say anything. I already know. We had that conversation just, you know, yesterday, was it? Yeah. You know? So, it, it, I mean, I recognize it in my own life. 
all the time. You know, I feel drained, worn out, unable to complete the assignments that God has called me to if I'm not going back to the source of life, if I'm not spending time with God and being intimate with Him and making that a priority in my life, regardless of how I'm feeling that day, regardless of what's on my schedule. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> we can stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap. <laughs> no, for real. But that's, I mean, it, that's, it's, that's it right there. And this is a part, something that we talked about yesterday as well, is you're not always going to be motivated to. Mm-hmm. And if we allow our lives to be run on emotion, on motivation, then we are always going to be victims to our emotions, our thoughts, and our circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to develop discipline. And this is something that I've been learning in my life. Um, and it's becoming more and more concrete the older that I get and in every single circumstance, the importance of discipline. Discipline is diff- discipline will make will be the difference in a successful life, an unsuccessful life, a fruitful life, a non fruitful life. Mm-hmm. Um, discipline is the foundation, and one of my early mentors told me something. He said. The way you do anything is the way that you do everything. And I didn't really understand it then. I didn't even know if I agreed with it then. But now I think it makes more sense. And and I think it makes sense in the context of discipline. How would you define discipline in your own words? Discipline in my own words is doing what you know you should do even when you don't feel like it. Mm. There's so many things that I don't feel like doing. There are days when I don't feel like reading the Bible. There are days when I don't feel like spending time with God. There are days when I don't feel like going to work. There are days when I don't feel like going to the gym. There are days when I don't feel like talking to anybody. And a life being run off of emotions and feelings, you are a slave to your feelings and your emotions. That's not freedom. Mm. That's slavery. I loved your definition of, of discipline. Doing what you don't want to do. No, 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 doing what you should do even when you don't want to do it. Yeah, doing what you know you should do, what, yeah. you, what you know needs to be done even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, I think that's great. <clears throat> I think, you know, I think we hear it a lot in church, you know, like don't live life by your feelings, you know, don't go off your emotions. Um, but to flip the coin, I think there's also... Um, it's, it's important to recognize that there is the other side of it or the other extreme, you know. I think discipline and feelings, sometimes they get kind of put in the, in the same box, but sometimes it's like we don't want it to mean like your feelings are invalid, mm. you know. And that, that ties back to like mental health and depression, you know. Mm. Um, it's a real thing, you know. And, yeah. I, and I think sometimes the church historically hasn't done a great job of of supporting people who are going through that 
you know? And I think, I mean, first it's a stigma, you know, like obviously mental health stigma is real just across America. I think it's gotten a lot better, you know, in society, but I think, I think the church is still a few steps behind, mm. you know? And like, w- like overly spiritualizing it. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was reading this article um, about a pastor and there was this girl who came up to him after church and she said, what, what I'm so grateful for. Well, she, she has already built a relationship with him, but what she told him was what I'm so grateful for. And what I love about this church is you allow me to be depressed. Mm. And he was like, well, that's not, that's not a great review or not a great tagline that I want associated with my church. Like come to this, come to my church where I allow you to be depressed, you know? But what she was saying was that the previous church she was at, when she opened up about her depression, Mm. people just prayed, prayed over her and, and they were just trying to rebuke the demon out of her. Mm. And she was saying how she didn't feel loved or supported or understood, you know? Yeah. It's important to recognize that depression and mental illness, there's also a biological aspect of it where there's a chemical imbalance, you know? So it's important to recognize that if someone is feeling depressed or sad, their feelings are valid, Yeah. right? Feelings are valid. Um, I'm just thinking back to this this study, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but... There was a study um, that they did on a group of people who were really afraid of spiders, mm. and they they took they took these people in a room, and in the room there was a tarantula in a cage, and then they exposed them to it. Obviously, they were afraid. They were like, "Oh no!" So they broke the people up into four groups. The first group, they uh, told them to to identify their emotions. Mm. And, and write down what emotion they experienced. Mm. The second group, they asked them to just make an observation and write that down. Whether that's like, it was a tarantula, so if the tarantula is big or the tarantula has hairy legs. Just an emotionless observation of what they had seen. The third group, they asked them to just say anything irrelevant that had nothing to do with the spider. So it could be that, you know, it's sunny outside or I'm hungry or whatever. The fourth group, they asked them to do nothing. One week later, they brought the groups back. And this time the tarantula was outside of the cage. Mm. And what they did was they measured the physiological response that each individual had, like their heart rate, how much, you know, they were sweating, things like that. And what they found that the individuals who identified their emotion a week ago, actually had the least amount of physiological response to the stimuli of that tarantula. And it just highlights the importance of identifying our emotions rather than just ignoring them or stuffing them down. Mm. So what I say all of that to say this, like going back to the, you know, it's important to not go off our feelings and be disciplined, but it's also important in instances where there's depression or, you know, mental health issues to also have our feelings, like recognize that our feelings are valid. Yeah. That's so good. Cause I, um, I'm going to share a little bit about an experience that I had that confirms what you're saying. Um, 
I went down this rabbit rabbit hole of deliverance and deliverance ministry. Um, and for, are you aware of, are, are you familiar with? I'm not, no. Okay. So deliverance ministry um, kind of, to be nice about it or to, to put it in a simple way is um, they believe that things that you're going through. So let's say for, I'll use myself as an example. I have, I have always struggled with depression. You know that. That's something that, as long as you've known me, has been a struggle, uh, something that I battle with. So for someone that struggles with depression, like the girl in the article, they would attribute that to a spirit. I have a spirit of depression that's living inside of me. So a believer that has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of, inside of them can also have a spirit, another spirit, mm. impure, unclean, demonic spirit living inside of them. That's what the deliverance ministry believes. Mm. Um, I kind of got caught up in that for about a week. Um, <laughs> uh, watched this movie called Come Out in Jesus' Name where it, it's all about the deliverance ministry. Um, saw um, some demon expulsion expulsion happening at the movie theater. Did I tell you about that? Exorcism. Yeah. Did I, did I tell you that, that A happened? A little bit, yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> so that happened. Um, and so I'm like, it, it kind of made me believe that this, the, this was, this was actually a thing. Um, which goes back to reading what you believe or believing what you read. Mm. Right. And not having our experiences, not having the word of God shaped by our experiences, but shaping our experiences by the word of God. Mm. So, um, I went to a deliverance service ministry house church on uh, a couple of days after that experience. And I'm like, man, I'm like I would love to be delivered of my spirit of depression. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like I never have to be depressed again. Mm -hmm. That would be beautiful. So I went and got these people praying over me like, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> it's just like, and I'm sitting there and they're like, do you feel anything? And I'm like, no <laughs> like all right let's go again get out get out get out how about now no nah, i still don't feel anything <laughs> do you hear anything though like are you hearing anything in your mind and i'm like no <laughs> it's, just, it's just quiet up there i'm just like, observing um so at this moment when this is happening i'm like still believing that there is possible that there is a spirit of depression that's living inside of me that I have to, to get out. And, um, I'm after like, they gave up on, on, on me. They're like, Oh, you got to do some, you know, maybe there's some unforgiveness you got to do first and then we can release. So we'll try you again next week. Um, but in the meantime, I'm like just sitting there observing everybody, everything else that's happening. And I just started feeling really uncomfortable. I just started feeling like a, a real lack of peace. And, um, led me to like doing a lot of research um the next over the next few days and um long story short after i consulted with people that i trust that are wise that have been in you know that are 
pastors and uh, spiritually sound people, I, I can't. I, I I learned that that I don't agree with that um, that ministry. I don't agree with that theology. Mm-hmm. Um, that based on the Word of God, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not going to share His temple with an unclean spirit. Mm-hmm. So it led me to to the conclusion of well I got to deal with my depression. That's something that I have to deal with. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. The flesh is not the body. The flesh is the soul. I have a thorn in my flesh. I have to deal with depression. So it's up to me to figure out how to deal with this, how to cope with this the most healthiest way. And to be honest, that wasn't a sobering, depressing thought. It actually was very hopeful because like the thought of like everything being blamed on a demon was really scary. Mm-hmm. It was very dangerous. Um, I even have had an episode that, that I recorded last week that I got to figure out how I got to rectify that because... I don't want to, I don't know if I want to put that out, but um, we have to take responsibility for the things that are going on in our life. Not everything, as a believer, not everything is, is, is a demon. We give, the, we give the enemy sometimes too much credit. And I don't think he has a problem with that right. because you focus on what's going wrong with you and it takes it puts you in a, a debilitated state of, of a victim mentality. If this is happening to me, I don't have control over it. And when I realized when when I came when I finally felt like God God answered my my prayer real quick on that deliverance ministry stuff. Like he he like literally over the the next day, I was like, wow, thank you Jesus for giving me peace about this. Um, and I'm like, okay, so if, if this depression thing is something that I have to deal with, let me figure out how to do it. And what does that go back to? That goes back to the word of God has a lot of resources about how to deal with that stuff. But I want to let, I want to hear your, I feel like there's something that you want to say before I keep going. No, it was good. I mean, just the one thing I was going to say was that you or anyone ignoring their feelings of depression does not make you more spiritual. And I think that's what a lot of people need to recognize as Christians. You know, like, I mean, we knew a pastor whose wife struggled with depression and she did not feel supported by the church. They felt like because she was the pastor's wife, she shouldn't feel depressed. Mm. And that them giving her a Bible verse is going to, healer of that and i'm not saying that to say that god cannot heal our depression right or our mental illness he can but we also need to recognize that your feelings are valid and ignoring those feelings doesn't make you more spiritual mm, that's so good yeah and and also having depression doesn't make you less spiritual exactly being depressed does not make you less spiritual, less close to God. It doesn't make you less effective for God's kingdom. 
being depressed isn't an indication of your spiritual health. Mm. That's good. Because it can be so easy to feel that way, you know, or have others tell us that, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just part of the human experience. Um, we live in a fallen world. Yeah. I think there are a plenty of, plenty of, um, people in the Bible, examples of people that were depressed, like read Psalms. Yeah. David was depressed. David went through a lot of the ups and downs. Yeah. He went through a lot of depression. He went through a lot of anxiety, but he found, ultimately he found hope in his relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And that's what kept him going. That's what kept him moving forward not giving up is he found hope. And that's, I think that's, that is miraculous in and of itself. Like it doesn't have to be this crazy deliverance where God heals you. Um, but being able to do like for me, being able to wake up every morning, despite of the way that I feel and do what I have to do, is a miracle because I know before I was walking with God as closely as I am now, I, I, I couldn't, it was debilitating. I couldn't do this stuff. So I, I understand for the first time what Paul means when he says my, when God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. And I love this definition of grace that I've recently read is grace is it fills in the gaps Grace is God filling in our gaps. Where I lack, God extends. Mm. So I, my humanity, my own ability can only allow me to get to this, to right here. God's grace will take me the rest of the way. So good. So good. And that causes you to, to go back to him in those moments where you feel like you aren't enough. And it reminds us of our human experience. This humbling human experience, you know, that you were talking about earlier. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like in my in my 20s, this is something that, that I was very, um, conscious of uh, is, is I, I started learning in my early mentorship when I started reading books and personal development it was all about the power of the mind and um, I think for a while I kind of shunned shunned that experience those teachings because I felt like it was um, man, why can't I say any words today bro like <laughs> Every single word doing, is like a struggle. Good. What word are you trying to say? <laughs> the word was like dict, like like the opposite of dictionary. <laughs> That's the one. Opposite. Yeah, it was like. Don't try to say big words. Just I'm say opposite, bro. To, it's not opposite. That's not the right word. Say the sentence without saying the word. Um, I was trying to say like, like, like um, the personal development stuff was. Like anti what the Bible taught. Like, Antithesis. Nah. It started with a D. <laughs> it was like um, 
Uh, let me try to say it a different way because we can't say here all day. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I don't know why dichotomy. Dick, this dichotomy is like two different things, you know. Yeah, maybe no, that's not it though, because I don't even. I would. I never used that word. Um, Lily's looking it up. Don't worry. It's not a Bible, not a Bible word. word. <laughs> Opposite. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We don't get, let's just move on. <laughs> but like, for instance, when, when like I, got, I wanted to be cautious and be aware of the fact that I wanted to acknowledge God in that. So when in the personal development world, there's a lot of teaching about the power of the mind. Focus on self. Focus on self. And I put that on the back burner because I was like, I know that that's not biblical. Biblical. And God calls us to rely on him. However, there are a lot of teachings. This is what I learned. A lot of teachings that are in the personal development world that originated in the Bible. Mm. And one of those is the power of the mind. And the power to transform our lives by the renewing of our mind. Mm. Like Paul talks about, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does that do? That puts the responsibility on who? The individual to renew their mind. So what am I doing to renew my mind so that way I can experience transformation? So good. It's really good. So am I... Renewing your mind, you can equate that to personal development world lingo, reprogram your mind. It's the same thing. Mm. So the two are what so I don't have to so now 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 we're now we're now we're moving in the same direction. So I, I still have a responsibility. And to me, that's comforting. To know that God has given me responsibility, God has given me authority and control. To, to make choices and to and to make decisions on how I want my life to look and how I want my life to operate. He gives me the principles. He gives me the truths. But it's my decision. Yeah, to, and some of those things those so, some of those things might look like you exercising. It might look like you going to therapy. It could be for certain individuals taking medications for their mental health, you know? And, and part of that is on us to make those decisions as well. You know, taking medications or getting therapy is not anti-Christian or anti-spiritual or, you know, like these things are like parts of modern medicine, part modern medicine that like are blessings from God. The fact that, that, that we have these professionals who work in these settings who can help you with that, you know? If if someone has like a medical issue, you know, we don't just pray that it gets better without medications. We do both. We take the advice of the, the professional doctors that are saying, hey, this medication is going to help you with this infection or with this cancer, but we're also going to pray as well. And I think oftentimes like, you know, with every part of the body, we're okay with it except for when it comes to the mind. We, we we don't take those things seriously. We just say like, 
you should just pray and get over it, but also not taking the advice of professionals that God has blessed us with in our lives, you know? Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I struggle with the medications part. Um, and I know this is a conversation that we've had before, but like I struggle with that because, um, and, and I, and I, and I can acknowledge that it, it, it's possibly from a place of ignorance cause I don't really understand that field as, as thoroughly as you do, but I feel like medications are, are a, like a bandaid. That's my, that's my, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my interpretation of medication and prescription medications are band-aid and it, and it leads to addiction. Like I, I took medication, I took a medication for depression and anxiety and sleeping and it didn't take away my depression, anxiety or insomnia. It put a band-aid on it temporarily and also it created an addiction, which was hard for me to come off of. And also, I had to deal with my issues after I came off of the meds. So, where do you, how do you fill in those blanks? Because I know that's your, that's your. Yeah. And, and I think mental health illness, like depression looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, you know, it could be, it could be like a source of trauma that they've had in their life. That's caused them to feel depressed until they're getting down to the root cause of that and processing that trauma and therapy. Mm. There's no medication that's going to help take that away. Mm. Right. There are certain individuals who it is a, a biological chemical issue. You know, sometimes some people just don't feel like they have symptoms of depression for no reason, you know, and I'm not saying that medication is the answer for everyone. Every medication is going to come with side effects, you know? So it's always important to, like, weigh the pros and cons, you know? Studies show that therapy alongside medications have the best effect, right? Most beneficial effect. So I think the treatment plan should be individualized for every single person. Mm. I'm not saying that everyone needs medications, but what I am saying is that some people do, mm. and that's okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, like, I think it's important what you said is getting down to the root cause of it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think what I have learned in my own experience, and again, I'm not generalizing it because I know that just because this is my experience doesn't mean it's everyone's. Um, but in my experience, I'm learning that my depression is a symptom. My anxiety is a symptom. And there's a root cause there that's causing me to feel that way. So depression isn't the root cause. So I deal with the depression by dealing and being aware of finding out what the root cause is and then dealing with that. And um, that takes talking to people. That takes therapy. um, That takes reading books and becoming aware of, of um, yourself, self-awareness. Um, and also something that I'm learning is in relationship with God, he can help you identify those things. And I think that we kind of went in a direction where it's like, 
therapy and, and psychology, but also understanding that there's not, there, there's, there doesn't have to be a separation in those two. Like, yeah, God, like the supernatural doesn't always look like God just taking it away. Like the supernatural also looks like God helping you figure out what it is and God helping you work through those issues. And you relying on God through that process. Exactly. And that's something that I learned. I, I had um, some things that were triggered in my life and it led me to, it took me to a very dark emotional place. And when I went back to that place, I, it scared me because I thought I, I had left that behind. I thought I was, I told myself I never wanted to experience these feelings again. And when I started experiencing these feelings, it, it, it scared me. And I was like, man, I have so much work to do. How am I ever going to get through it? How am I ever going to, like, where do I start? Mm -hmm. um, and I took it to God and I asked God to, to help me through it. And I talked about this in another episode, but like, I literally felt like Jesus showed up on the scene, took me back into some of those hurtful, painful experiences, traumas, and reframed them for me. Mm. Um, and then there was, it was healing. It was a healing experience. Um, so I think it's, it's important to, to not overly spiritualize things. And it's also not important to remove the spiritual supernatural aspect from, from it completely. 100% agree. I just appreciate your vulnerability. You know, I know it's, it's not easy to talk about these things, you know, um, and it's just, it's just really cool to see you be real and honest about the things that you've been through. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an encouragement to other people who are going through the same type of thing. Those people who are struggling with depression and sometimes blaming it on their spiritual health, you know, mm. but I mean, just seeing you and I've seen like the tra trajectory of your your walk with God and how how close you've grown to him but then also admitting that you know there's days where you just don't feel good yeah and and, and that's not an indication of your spiritual health because depression is a real thing yeah thank so you I, I appreciate your your vulnerability and you being real man it's it's awesome thank you i appreciate that i mean I, for me the the goal is for God to get glory through whatever it is that I have been through and I'm going through. Mm. And I think that it's so easy to, um, to expect God's glory to be displayed in the victories, mm. but not in the midst of the battle. And sometimes God's glory is being displayed in the midst of the battle while we're fighting not only when we've won. I love that you said that because oftentimes like, I mean, we'll be at church and the stories that are celebrated, you know, with my experience through church my whole life are the ones where this person was struggling from depression or mental health issues, yeah. but now he's healed and he's doing better and we celebrate that, you know, yeah. or this person is struggling with addiction and substance use, but now he's healed and we celebrate that. Mm -hmm. But also exactly what you just said you know like god can be glorified 
and honored in the midst of our hurt and our pain because yeah. his he is enough and his grace is sufficient you know so i love that you said that that was so good yeah man i've 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 just been learning um and it's it's an it's an adjustment of my expectations um and it's been so beautiful um because when you're expecting god to do things the way that you want him to do them when you expect him to do things a certain way you're going to be disappointed when he doesn't mm-hmm. and you're going to miss out on experiencing him in the way that he wants you to experience him and for me it was an adjustment of my expectations um instead of god this is the way that i want you to do it it's like god i'm i'm, I'm here for it. whatever it is that you want to show me teach me however you want to do it and it's beautiful, man. You get to experience God in so much more of an intimate way mm. when he's going through it with you than if, if he just simply removes it. It's, it's so much more like you're going through the t- trenches with somebody, yeah. you know, and, you're, and you can experience them with you. And he's giving you energy and strength and hope day by day. Um, that builds so much more of a bond mm. than if someone comes in, removes it, and dips out. Yeah. Um, and there are times where God will do that, right? Absolutely. There, there are times where he'll just take it away, but then there's times that he's in the trenches with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 I like, I think at first, when I thought about this platform and I thought about this, uh, podcast it was the glory gen god's glory on display in you know this supernatural ways and when i was thinking supernatural my mind was miracles and healing and deliverance um but as as i'm moving forward i'm realizing like, like supernatural is is every day Supernatural things happen, everything. Experiencing God's presence, experiencing peace in the midst of chaos, that's supernatural. Mm. Being able to, to move forward another day with hope, strength, with energy, with excitement, despite of certain circumstances, that's supernatural. There's so many supernatural things that happen um, and, and really learning what it means to walk with God in intimacy, having access to the creator of the universe. That's supernatural. Like yeah. there's so, you know, so, um, and assuming that we're going to be immune from hard times as Christians is ignorance. Yeah. Literally, if you read your Bible, you will, that will be debunked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is nowhere in the Bible that says, it says it's hard it says it's narrow. It says you will be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. Right. Uh, they will reject you because they rejected me first. Like, it's all about endure. Endure the race. Endure the battle. Put on the armor because it's a battle. Like, this life is the human life experience. This life, because sin entered the world, this is this is what, these are the cards that we're dealt with as, as a human race. Mm-hmm. Um we get to experience God despite of that. Yeah. And 
the beautiful thing, the most beautiful thing is the hope that we have, that this is temporary. It's not going to be forever. And one day we get to, we get to live in our resurrected bodies and be free from all of it, you know, but in the, in the meantime, we get to, we get to be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted us with. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Cause I, I want to, um, you have a, you have a question from, from an audience member. What the heck? <laughs> Someone that knew you, you were going to be on the podcast. Can you tell me what the question is before you, uh, <laughs> so I can think about it? it? Yeah, I'll tell you the question and then you can think about it. Dr. Massey, how do you find the discipline to stay where you know God has called you to be? Passing up opportunities, going to the school you went to, etc. So, I get. I think the question is, how did you find the discipline to remain where God has called you to be, even though there was other opportunities that came up or may have, are still coming up that may be more enticing than the one that, you know, enticing to to make more money, enticing to have a better schedule. Um, what? How do you? How do you stay disciplined and <laughs> and, and where God is calling you? I don't even know. <laughs> Let me think about that more. Think about it. Hmm. I mean, how do I stay disciplined? Doing what God has called me to, basically. Yeah. So, for instance, going to going to the school that God called you to go to, I think I think this person wants to know. Like you, 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 you know, when God has, first of all, do you know that God has called you specifically to this school or this job? I think I I didn't in the moment. Okay. I mean, I, I'm looking. Yeah. I could just answer the question starting with that. Yeah. Go ahead. I think knowing if I'm living in God's will or if I did. Yeah. I think sometimes the answer wasn't always clear, you know, like, so just a little bit about my background, you know, like when I was, I started working in mental health. Um, I worked um, at a hospital with, child children and adolescents that are struggling who have tried to commit suicide or um having suicidal thoughts right they're suffering from depression when i took that job my goal my ultimate goal was i wanted to work er icu i remember that and the reason why i wanted to work there were because i had selfish motives i wanted to be cool you know, I wanted to like walk out of a room bloody and being like, I just saved a life. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm a superhero. So for me, that was my ultimate goal. But in order for me to get into the hospital system that I'm working in, I just had to get a foot in the door. My buddy worked at worked um, at this hospital. He's like, hey, man, I can get you in. The managers, I'm a really good friend of mine. I'll get you in. All I ask is that you put it, you give me a year and then you can go and transfer to the other unit you want to work at. Mm. I'm like, cool. So that was my goal. 
my plan. That was my plan. I was going to be there for a year. I mean, I always liked mental health, but mm-hmm. I had selfish motives. I wanted to go, yeah, be cool, you know, and yeah, and 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 be a hero and 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 you know bring glory to myself. Mm-hmm. So, when I started working there, the interactions I had with these kids, mm-hmm. they were in the most vulnerable seasons of their lives they had just tried to commit suicide they're questioning their purpose they're questioning questioning their reason for being alive they're questioning who they are and this is age 14 to 17 um, is what, what i primarily worked with and as i started to work there and you know i would have like spirit-led conversations with them where i would where i mean it was just so easy to talk to these kids about god because they were already questioning why they were created. Yeah. I feel, and then I started to feel like, you know, like, I mean, to use basketball terms, I feel like God was just throwing me an alley-oop and all I had to do was dunk it. You know, it was easy, yeah. you know, yeah. it was easy to talk about, you know, my faith, um, in that setting. Mm. And as I started to work there and I think through like so many meaningful conversations that I had and I would just be like, man, this is exactly where God wants me. So it wasn't before, you know, it wasn't like, I'm not going to over-spiritualize my experience of when I started working there. I wasn't like praying and then I was like, God, if you're calling me to this, I'll go there and I work there. That's not what happened, you know. I, I just went, but I didn't know that God was calling me there, but he was. And he was calling me there for a purpose. And there I like fell in love with that population. I fell in love with working in mental health and after that I decided to go back to school because at that point I was like all right God wants me in this field you know um and it's for his glory so then I went back got my doctorate degree and even in that process I didn't know that um I knew that's what God was calling me to but I didn't know what setting he was going to call me to work and you know and yeah and a job opportunity presented itself to work um at a clinic that serves the low low income, you know, some of my patients are homeless. A lot of them struggle with substance use issues. Um, and I didn't know God was calling me to that in that moment. But, I mean, I felt at peace about it. I would pray about it. I felt at peace. I didn't hear God's voice telling me, like, this is my will for you to work here. But I was just putting one foot in, in, in front of another, you know. Sometimes in my prayer, if I hear, if I don't hear a no, it's 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 a go for me you know i'm like i'm I'm gonna do it you know i'm not gonna sit here and wait and now when i look back at at where i work i mean i work with individuals who are low income a lot of them are homeless and god was god was softening my heart towards that population Mm. without it without me even realizing it and then i started growing really passionate about this population this vulnerable population the least of these is how I would describe them. You know, they're cast aside by society. You know, their their struggles are real. They don't even know where their next meal is going to come from. You know, I have some patients who tell me like they use their last amount of gas just to come see me, you know, for their appointment because they don't have money, you know. And so working full time in uh, psychiatry and addiction medicine, grew really passionate about it. And then I think that led to 
after I had gone passionate about this population, low income, the homeless individuals struggling with um, addiction, you know, substance use issues. And then God was starting within me like, I've always cut hair, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always cut hair for like years. Josh was my first haircut, my first victim, I should say, <laughs> you know? Um, and then um, I've, I've always like cut hair for free. But, you know, one day I was, as I was reading to through the book of John, you know, John chapter 13 is the last supper. Mm. You know, Jesus is gathered around the table. And, you know, first century Jerusalem before a communal meal the lowliest of servants, mm. not just your average servant, the lowliest of servants would wash the feet of individuals. They sat at, you know, low tables. Um, their feet would be in each other's faces. You know, it was just like, they just kind of slouched down when they ate. And I mean, you think back to first century Jerusalem, dirt streets, camels, donkeys walking on everywhere. They're just, their feces are everywhere and everyone's wearing sandals. So before you're about to go eat and putting put your feet in another person's face, you know, your feet should be washed mm. of all of that crap, right? Mm. So the lowliest servants would wash your feet before a communal meal. Well, then you, you go to John 13. The disciples and Jesus are getting ready for their Passover meal. Mm. Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his outer robe and begins washing the feet of his disciples taking the place of the lowliest servant, Jesus, who is God, who formed us out of mud, spoke the world into creation, mm. is taking the place of the lowliest of, servant, of servants and washing the feet of disciples. Of disciples of Judas was about to, you know, betray him. Peter was about to deny him. Mm. Knowing that, knowing it's his last meal, before he goes and suffers on the cross, he washes their feet. It's not how I would want to spend my last last meal, you know? Yeah. And as I was reading that, I was like, man, this is, it was hitting me differently that day. Mm. And then I get to John 13, 14, and Jesus says, just as I, your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, now you go and wash one another's feet. And I was really wrestling with that. Like, what does it look like to wash each other's feet nowadays, right? And as I thought about it more, you know, I just started thinking back to the population that I work with, you know, and mm. and just the needs that they have and, and the homeless population. And um, I mean, God was putting it on my heart to go out and give haircuts to the homeless, you know? Mm. And I probably thought about it for longer than I should have. I think it was probably like, <laughs> I mean, I felt like God was calling me to it, but there's one thing about like God calling you to do something and you doing it, you know? Mm. So I was talking to you one day, it was probably like six months. I'm like, man, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I was like super passionate about it. And you were like, what's stopping you? And I'm like, well, you know, it costs a lot of money. I'm going to have to invest a lot of money, you know? Mm. And you're like, how much do you think it's going to cost? And I tell you a number, which is like several hundred dollars. And you're like, all right, I just sent the money over to you. What's your excuse now? <laughs> and I was like, well, I got no excuse, you know? Yeah. And then eventually started doing that. I mean, met some other people in the process. Yeah. 
you know, and now we're an official nonprofit organization, Street Shaves. Uh, we're doing ha- haircuts two to three times, two to three times a month for the homeless and those in need. Um, but I say all of that to say this, like, I didn't know that that was God's will for my life in those moments. But when I look back, I see that God was working on my heart and opening doors that I had no idea. He was working so far ahead of me, you know. So I think there's times where we don't even know that we're living out God's will. Um, and sometimes we do. But for me, there was in those moments that I, I didn't know, but I just chose to, to trust God even in, in the middle of not knowing, you know. But when I look back on life, I see how how he was there for every moment of it. And he was intentionally working on my heart and softening my heart to certain things that I would have never even imagined. So I hope that answers that question. I don't know if it does, but yeah. Give me a second. <laughs> And this isn't my first time hearing this story, but I don't know why it just hit so different this time. Yeah. Hearing the the whole, I think I've heard it in uh, chunks, but not all the way through. But it's to me, it was just it's beautiful to see the supernatural all throughout your story, um, and that burden that you have for that population. It's God's heart. And God put that burden on your heart. Yeah. And his heart, and when we yield to God, when we yield to the spirit, we don't have to worry about that part of it because our his desires become our desires. And your assignment became clear because your desire was to be honoring and pleasing to God and to do what he wanted you to do. So he allowed you to share his heart and so that way you can have your assignment and you can um, serve in that, in that way. And I think it's, it's, it's crazy because we, we think like, oh, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And if we, if we want what God wants for our life, we don't have to worry about it. God is going to make it clear. He's going to open doors. He's going to give us his heart for the things that he wants to accomplish here on earth. Yep. And I think so many times and so many people um, spend too much time worrying about the what instead of the who. Mm. The who being god and the what being your assignment and it's like you said like you you didn't overly spiritualize it but you were pursuing god yeah um and you went out and god the the verse that came i was looking this is the, i was looking up the verse while you were while you were speaking it's um uh psalms 37 5 it's commit your way to the lord and he shall bring it to pass mm-hmm. um and you commit your way to god and he directed your path he put the burden in your heart. It wasn't forced. It wasn't, you didn't feel like you had to 
sacrifice your dream at that point of being an ICU nurse, right? Right. Um, it became something that you desired. And that that whole thing, that that's all God. That's all a miracle. That doesn't just happen. Nobody goes from wanting um, to be in the ER, in the ICU, doing the exciting, crazy stuff, to working with low-privileged, low-income substance abuse homeless that is not natural and god even god even redeems he redeemed my selfish motive of even going to work with that population when i first started working you know in mental health Mm. god was able to redeem that for what he was calling me to you know and what his desires were and i think it's important where god gives us assignments but it's also important to recognize that it's his work you know, like I'm doing, we're doing haircuts for the homeless, but we're not. God is, we get to be a part of what God's doing. Yeah. You know, like we get to be a, a part of what God's doing in Redlands, right? Yeah. It's what he's doing. We just get to be a part of what he's doing. That's so. that's such a good reminder. It's not, and, and I think that also helps uh, mitigate stress and the pressure. Right. Um, of I'm just a vessel, you know, it's his work, it's his ministry. It's, I, I'm just participating. I get to be a spectator, um, and I get to be involved, but it's not my burden to bear. And that's why it takes me back to Jesus saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. So when we continually live in relationship with God and intimacy with God, we get we we allow him to to bear that burden. We're living in reliance to God. Yeah. We allow him to bear that burden. It's, it's it doesn't have to, life doesn't have to be st- stressful or anxiety inducing. It can be really peaceful if we maintain that proper perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's crazy, man. Like I can see how the Holy Spirit led this entire conversation. Because there were certain things that were in my mind that I that I wanted to bring up that came up, and there's things that I weren't even on my radar to talk about that came up, and I can just see how God. It's just it's it's wild, bro. Yeah, but it's crazy. It's crazy how God works. So, all glory so, to Him, man. So beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. So, if you guys want to see Josh's ministry, um, that uh, or God's ministry that Josh is stewarding. Um, uh, he does an Instagram page, um, at street shaves and you can see, um, amazing testimonies from, um, these homeless people who are getting haircuts and exper- talking about Jesus, experiencing God's love practically. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. I got to go, uh, witness it, um, a couple months ago and it was just, it was incredible. Um, so man, thanks for Thanks for being here on a Wednesday, bro. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. Man. It was fun. <laughs> uh, it was yeah, it was amazing. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> this is a part that I suck at, right? Uh, script, please. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Glory Gen podcast. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone. Uh, like, subscribe, and comment and review, um, and give me a hug. 
Because <laughs> I love you. <laughs> All right. See you later.